You are listening to the Mind Mental Health Podcast. We are a group of students at the University of North Texas Health Science Center who are passionate about mental health issues and fighting stigmas. The aim of this podcast is to educate our listeners on mental health and tell our experiences with honesty. We encourage you to consider only what feels best to you and to consult with your medical professional and or support team before doing anything that might jeopardize your physical, emotional, spiritual, or mental health. Some episodes may trigger an adverse reaction. If an episode is beginning to upset you, I advise that you please pause immediately and talk to your support team. With that being said, welcome to the Mind Mental Health Podcast. Let's dive in. Hi, I'm Kristen Kluber, and I am currently a second-year student at TCOM. And I am Alex Frangenberg, currently a first-year student at TCOM as well. And we are going to talk to you today about obsessive compulsive disorder. We're talking about OCD, which is a common chronic and long-lasting disorder in which a person has uncontrollable, reoccurring thoughts and obsessions and or behaviors or compulsions that he or she feels the urge to repeat over and over. People with OCD may have symptoms of obsessions, compulsions, which are different, or both, and these symptoms can interfere with all aspects of their lives. And so going off what Kristen was saying, a lot of people tend to think that OCD means that you have obsessions and compulsions, but in reality, they are two separate things. Obsessions can be defined as repeated thoughts, urges, or mental images that cause anxiety. For example, you know, the fear of germs or contamination unwanted, forbidden, or taboo thoughts involving sex, religion, or harm, or aggressive thoughts towards others can be some of these examples of obsessions. Whereas compulsions are going to be repetitive behaviors that a person with OCD feels the urge to do in response to an obsessive thought. So for example, regarding the fear of germs or contamination, we would see uh, excessive cleaning and or hand washing. We see ordering and arranging things in a particular precise way repeatedly checking on things, so just repeatedly checking to see if the door is locked or that the oven is off, or compulsive counting. Yeah, so a couple stats about OCD. From a study done back in 2007 at Harvard, the prevalence of OCD in a 12-month period is actually higher in females than in males. Another study found that people with OCD uh, have major symptoms, usually before the age of 25. Half of adults with OCD had serious impairment. The average onset of OCD is 19.5 years old, according to Molecular Psychiatry in 2008. Males make up the majority of very early onset cases. Almost a quarter of males have onset before the age of 10, which was interesting because, like I mentioned earlier, the prevalence is higher in females. Especially because also the average onset is about 19 years old. And so when we're seeing these onsets before the age of 10, with males specifically, it's just kind of interesting to see how they change based on sex and age. Additionally, the majority of adults who have OCD at some point in their lives will also have at least one other mental disorder. Symptoms of OCD may vary with time, situations, and anxieties. What we want to do today also is kind of talk about some of the stigma that has to do with OCD. I'm sure that we've all been watching TV or reading books or even just existing in normal life and you hear someone say, oh, you know, I'm just so OCD about this and I'm so OCD about how things are ordered. Like, for example, for me, before I take a test, I have a very specific ritual that I do. I listen to the same songs. I make sure I listen to them all the way through. 
I was talking to Alex before we started recording and was telling him how this winter break, the word OCD kind of just seemed to be thrown around at my house a lot because my mom is very particular about a couple of things and exactly how they're done. And I'm very particular about a different set of things and how they're done. So my family just kind of like, oh, you call yourself OCD, but look at her over there or whatever. Yeah, in my family, I feel like I noticed us just kind of throwing those words around pretty often, just because we have specific ways that we like to have things done. We are also talking about OCD in the media and in TV shows. It's a lot more prevalent than you might recognize. And I mean, that's one thing that I, so I majored in psychology in college and my experience growing up was that OCD has to do with order. Like I I thought that the O stood for order in OCD because every time I would hear OCD being mentioned, it was all about order, order this, order that, or maybe rituals. Whereas like, you know, you kind of see in the media, these examples of a big one is Monica Geller and friends. Yeah. And then also Sheldon Cooper and the big bang theory. And then I don't know, this is a throwback to a very small audience back in the day, but I don't know if anyone's ever watched Monk, but Adrian Monk was a prime example of someone who has OCD. Just the way that he had to have his rituals, his obsessions, his compulsions, and it actually ended up helping him become a detective and doing his job as a detective as well. Those are all kind of funny, like comedic shows, like Friends and Big Bang Theory are all pretty comedy shows. But another area where I seem to recognize it was in Law and Order types of shows like that or a show with some kind of villain. The bad guy would have these specific rituals. A lot of times in the media, villains are people with mental health problems. So you'll see villains, quote unquote, have some kind of obsessive compulsive disorder or like ritualistic behaviors. So that being said, um, not every ritual or habit is a compulsion. Um, And there are some good ways to distinguish between normal versus OCD behavior, kind of like what I was saying with my mom and my um, particular way of doing things. So a way to distinguish between normal and OCD behavior is someone with OCD can't control his or her thoughts or behaviors, even when those thoughts or behaviors are recognized as excessive. Um, These people spend at least one hour a day on these thoughts or behaviors. Another thing that's really key is that they don't really feel pleasure when they perform these behaviors or rituals. It's more like they feel brief relief from the anxiety that the thoughts cause. So it's almost like an escape from anxiety. That's the reason why they end up doing these behaviors. Additionally, they'll also experience significant problems in their daily life due to these thoughts or behaviors because they have to complete them in order to avoid this anxiety. I really like the way that you explained that like brief relief, kind of like them escaping reality, because I hadn't really thought of it that way before. But that makes a lot of sense that they perform these actions because it's a way to escape some thoughts that they're having. So we're going to go into a couple of different causes of OCD that um, researchers have found. Some think that it could be biological although there are differences in brain activity and OCD sufferers we still are not sure of the exact mechanisms that could cause it. This is actually really interesting. And I have to give kudos to the research team for finding this um, because the nerd in me really thought this was cool. 
There's something called PANDAS, which stands for Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Disorders Associated with Streptococcal Infections. Essentially, it's this idea that a streptococcal infection will cause an immune response, which may cause damage inside the brain itself. Essentially, this damage can sometimes increase. It doesn't necessarily cause OCD, but what it may do is it may trigger it in children that are that are already predisposed to the disorder. And so I kind of thought that was interesting how an infection, you know, a microbe that could possibly cause this to occur, especially because you don't really think of OCD as something that could be biologically related to an infection. But I, I just, the nerd in me was like, this is super cool. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I always thought of it as, you know, there's just something about you, you know, some genetic component, some biological component, something like that. So to hear that it could be some exogenous thing triggering it is really fascinating. Speaking of genetics, a report showed that a person with OCD is four times more likely to have another family member with OCD than a person who does not have the disorder. People with a first-degree relative who has OCD are at a higher risk of developing OCD themselves, but it's not quite known what genes are implicated in causing OCD. You know, a lot of these things that we're talking about, they may cause chemical imbalances in the brain regarding different neurotransmitters. We're not going to really touch on that because the research isn't super complete. We can't say anything for certainty, but just realize that, you know, a lot of these differing neurotransmitter signals and amounts in the brain may also be related to OCD. So in addition to some of these chemical imbalances, there's also some psychological theories. And so we talked earlier about, you know, how these compulsions are a way to avoid anxiety and it's just a temporary relief. But there's also some thoughts that some of these uh, learned negative thoughts and behavior patterns, they can be attributed towards these previously neutral situations which can result from life experiences. And so it's the idea that there was a negative life experience, which then had attributed some of these thoughts and compulsions as well. But with all of that being said, unfortunately, we don't know the exact cause of OCD. It's probably a combination of some or all of these factors. And hopefully we can find the root of this one day with research. But I think it's really important now to help learn how to manage it for those that currently suffer from OCD. Yeah, absolutely. It was funny because I was about to say biopsychosocial, but then I looked and it kind of didn't seem like there was any social causes. And so I think that's interesting. You know, there isn't really anything in the environment that may necessarily cause OCD, except for the streptococcal, the pandas. But, but that triggers it as opposed to causing it. Yeah, and I guess that's that's bio, I would say. But I just kind of thought that was interesting because sometimes a lot of these other, um, you know, these mental health issues that we're talking about, they can come from different social scenarios and situations, whereas OCD seems to have a lot more biological and psychological connections. And so I just kind of thought that was interesting as I was looking through it. Discussing some of these reactive behaviors, though, that kind of happen with OCD, One of the common words to know is a trigger, and this is going to be what's considered the original source of the obsessional worry. And so, for example, that could be a place, person, object, mental thought. For instance, a person will experience distressing obsessions about death every time they thought about their deceased father. And what that could do is cause them to have a compulsion where they have to do some behavior to kind of relieve that anxiety. 
Another word that we like to, that we associate with OCD is called avoidance, which is basically going to be a common behavior where the person will avoid the trigger that could cause this anxiety. Yeah, there's also um, reassurance. Um, a person with OCD will often seek reassurance that what they fear isn't really a reality. They usually seek reassurance from a loved one or from the news or from Google or just kind of anywhere. And there's also ritual, which we've kind of touched upon, and it's just a set of patterns of behaviors with a clear starting point and a clear end point. And usually if the ritual is interrupted halfway, they feel the need to restart their ritual. I think that's really interesting just that, you know, you can't pick up and start where you left off. You kind of have to have the completion of the ritual that that's going to help you alleviate that anxiety. And I mean, I could just imagine that like if the ritual is long or if the ritual is occurring in a place where they can't be completed, just how that could kind of like affect, you know, someone's life and day to day living. Oh, absolutely. You pretty much have to try to manage and schedule your life around your rituals. Yeah. And I mean, that's also if you think about it, we're talking about some of these triggers, you know, if some of these triggers happen randomly in public, then it's really like you have no choice this like feeling of avoiding the anxiety. And so, I mean, I can just, I could see just how debilitating this would be. This is me talking as a 25 year old man. Like I I just imagine like a child that has this and like how, how rough that could be in general. We actually will touch on that a little bit later, pivoting back. So there are different types of OCD though, that have been characterized. One of the types is going to be called checking. The obsession that's related to checking is going to be fear related to preventing damage, fire, leaks, harm. The compulsion that we usually see with that is like we they need to be checking something. And so, for instance, they might be checking to make sure that the door is locked, that the alarms are good, that the gas stoves are off. The other type of OCD is contamination. Um, the obsession with contamination is the fear of being dirty and contaminated, which leads people to compulsively, excessively wash or clean or avoid. So a lot of these people will wash their hands a lot, you know, have antibacterial wipes, hand sanitizer, and they also avoid shaking hands with people, using public spaces, touching door handles, eating in public, just things that could get other people's germs anywhere near them. One of the other types of OCD um, is hoarding type, and it's kind of, we all know hoarding. Uh, Essentially, it's like an inability to discard useless or worn out possessions. Another is rumination or intrusive thoughts. So these are a train of prolonged thinking about a question or theme that is undirected and unproductive. They're obsessive thoughts that are repetitive, disturbing, and can be horrific in nature, which don't always involve specific immediate compulsions. Unlike obsessional thoughts, ruminations are not objectionable and are indulged rather than resisted. The last type of OCD has to do with symmetry and orderliness. Um, And so essentially the obsession related to this type is going to be the need to ensure that everything feels just right to prevent discomfort. The compulsion is going to be the need to have everything lined up symmetrically, neatly, Maybe the volume has to be at this exact level or they're going to be distracted and be unable to function. And it's funny, actually, I in my car, I found that the perfect volume level for me is 14. And I can tell 
I can tell if someone has it above or below. Now, of course, this is not related, but this could be an example of where, you know, someone could say, you're just so OCD about your volume control. It's just important to kind of remember that that's a stigma that exists. To not, um, just like I said, like throw those words around. Because these are real people that have a very debilitating problem. So it demeans their suffering. Mm-hmm. So Alex mentioned that we're going to talk about OCD in children and teenagers. Um, so I'm going to start to touch on that and also how it relates to that age group and when they're in school. Usually rituals can take a lot of time, which means that children can be, I say children, this can also be like high schoolers or people in college, older people too that are working. People can be late for school or work or activities. And then whenever they do have time outside of their school or work, then they're unable to enjoy time with friends or have fun. At school, obsessions and rituals can affect their attention and focus, which hurts their completion of tasks and their school attendance. Students with OCD, they may appear distracted or disinterested, but in reality, they're just hyper-focused on like some of these urges and compulsions and obsessive thoughts that they have. And so that can kind of lead to that distracted or daydreaming sort of appearance. And additionally, they may experience these overwhelming anxiety and strong urges, which may lead them to perform some of these uh, ritualistic or compulsive behaviors in class that could further disrupt the class. So these likely lead to isolation and bullying from other students, which can just harm the child even more socially. And then older children and teenagers may worry that they're starting to go crazy or that they are crazy. And so they work even harder to hide their OCD from others, which can be mentally taxing. They also often will have lengthy bedtime rituals that they feel like they have to be completed, which if any of you have ever tried to go to bed when you're anxious, it is just very, very difficult and it usually doesn't happen. And so essentially these long, lengthy bedtime rituals it sometimes can lead to a later bedtime and then cause them to be more tired during the day. Just in general, all this stress, uh, it may lead to, you know, the student or the child being sad, angry, or have explosive behaviors because it's just a very overwhelming thing to try to exist in daily life while also be thinking about these ways that you can avoid this anxiety. Your life is already hard. And I feel like Adding that, compounding all of that on top of daily life is absolutely exhausting. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So there are also effects of OCD on families. Parents may be confused or frustrated by their children's odd behaviors. They may become scared or when their child gets very upset and cannot seem to stop the rituals, they might not know what to do. I feel like parents probably just feel really lost in trying to learn how to help their kids. Yeah, absolutely. And further along those lines, uh, sometimes children with OCD, they, they might want to make their families take part in their OCD. And so essentially, you know, that can also lead to more stress for the parents whenever the kids are trying to have them participate in these rituals. And if the rituals don't go their way, or if the family doesn't want to participate, the kids can get very, very angry and upset. And so that in general is just going to be compounding that stress. On top of all that, some parents may feel like they have to change the family's daily routine and go through many different feelings, fear, frustration, anger, guilt, sadness, because they are not sure what they should be doing. 
I'm sure parents also often worry whether their child will be okay, like what their future is going to be like, how their child is supposed to grow up, how they're supposed to help their children grow up. I can't imagine how how difficult it must be to be feeling helpless as a parent in that like, you know, your child's experiencing this anxiety that they can't do anything about unless they do this ritual. But then that's further, you know, impending on your ability to maybe raise your other kids, live your life. It's just all around a very difficult and taxing thing. If you notice any of these behaviors in yourself, please contact a health professional. And if you notice it in others, just encourage them to speak to somebody and just get the conversation started. If you're a parent and you're noticing that your children might be experiencing some strange behaviors and you're feeling helpless, please go get help. Talk to your doctors before you do feel helpless because it's also your life and your mental health and everything. And so it'll be good to learn tools and what you can do to hopefully help your child. Yeah, I think that the support is definitely a very important thing. And the thing is, when you get support, you can kind of find out about some treatment options for OCD. Generally, the treatment options considered to be SSRIs, uh, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and then ERP, which is, uh, stands for Exposure and Response Prevention Therapy. So SSRIs, like you said, is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Oftentimes, people with OCD suffer from other mental disorders as well. And so it's important to take those into account when prescribing medications. SSRIs are very common for depression and anxiety. SSRIs will help decrease the anxiety in people with OCD and help both the anxiety and the OCD. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's also interesting that there isn't really any other type of medication that can be used with OCD. And the thing is, is like, you know, thinking about it, you're like, well, could you do something with the reward pathway? Is there maybe another way that you could reroute some of these behaviors? But in reality, it kind of has to do with, you know, making sure you're limiting that anxiety and then further using exposure and uh, response prevention therapy. And of course, make sure you're doing this with professionals especially because this is a very anxiety-inducing therapy, and it's really important that a professional is going to be administering this. So essentially, like we talked earlier, occurrence of these obsessions will lead to an increase in anxiety. Like we said, the compulsions are going to lead to a subsequent attenuation of that anxiety. And so essentially what exposure and response prevention therapy does is the professional will provoke the ritual. They will make sure that the child or the patient avoids performing the ritual, which will in turn lead to discomfort. However, repeated occurrence of, of this process will in time lead to a decrease in the urge to ritualize in the future when met with that stimulus. And so essentially over time, they, you will notice a drop in your anxiety level, which is commonly known as habituation. So fascinating. I had not really heard of that before today and before looking at the research, I guess. I mean, I feel like I had heard the letters together, but didn't really understand what all it entails. And that's a very interesting technique. I think especially like we were kind of talking about some of these genetic components, biological components. I think especially the mental reframing that goes on with exposure therapy is so important for OCD because it's kind of the idea of connecting the fact that these rituals are not going to be affecting your anxiety and they're not going to lead to these some of these 
you know, these concerns or issues that you're having. And I think making that mental connection is really what can help a lot of these patients improve and be able to live and lead normal lives. We wanted to thank you guys for listening. Um, just a friendly reminder to check your stigma. It's very common to hear people saying, oh, this is OCD, you're OCD about that, and just throwing the word around. So if you recognize that in yourself, take a second to think about it and recognize what that actually means. Or if you hear other people saying those terms and just kindly remind them or maybe inform them of why it's not great to throw the, that word around or throw OCD around. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we kind of draw some of these bad habits from seeing it in pop culture and seeing it in the media and how it's, you know, not a light thing, but it's presented in a very light and comedic way sometimes to the point that we sometimes forget how many people this affects and how anxiety producing and how debilitating it can be. Check your stigma. Thanks for tuning in. And if y'all have any questions, feel free to reach out to us. I'm Alex. I'm Kristen. Stay safe. Thank you for listening to the Mind Mental Health Podcast. Be sure to check out the episode notes for some resources we recommend. If you're out there and you're feeling stuck or feeling alone, you are not alone in this. Seeking help for your mental health is an important way of taking control of your life. And remember, it's okay not to be okay. Before we go, show some love by sharing this podcast with a friend and rating it on whatever platform you may be using. We look forward to sharing new content with you every second and fourth Wednesday of the month. Thanks again for listening.